my story is about singing, but whether whether I am a singer or not, will uh, you can determine at the end of the end of the show. My self belief outweighed my 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 discipline. But of course, everyone can draw. If you pick up a piece of paper and a pencil and make a line on that paper, you are drawing. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name's Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And we're on a mission to unpick creativity. So there's a common understanding of what creativity is. And so the tools of creativity become common and everyday. And this week, we're going to hear a story and unpick what that means about creativity. And our story today is, of course, Paul Fairweather. Thank you, Chris. I feel I should be on Play School or something uh, <laughs> through the uh, through the long slotted architectural window. Today's story. <laughs> I always uh, like the round window. <laughs> yes, yeah, and the story is about singing, and I'm a singer too, so I can't wait to hear what you've got for us. Uh, as a child, I was very expressive, and I was always putting on plays and little comedy skits at every opportunity, and singing. Uh, I learned the guitar uh, not very well, and I used to belt these songs out out of tune. When I was fourteen, I joined a musical, a school musical. With uh, I was at an all boys school, and it was with the all girls school down the road. And during the dress rehearsal, the musical director stopped proceedings and oh, stop, stop, and sort of pointing, and eventually pointed at me and said, "You, you there in the blue, you know, policeman." Sing, sing, a, sing a few bars. And so I sang and she looked at me horrified and went, oh, my God, you can't sing. You do not sing. You have to mime. Now, this is at the dress rehearsal. And so that, that shattered, shattered my dreams. And must I say, I was also, I think, well, I think I was 15 and I, I was very keen on this girl and was sort of like, you know, dating or sending each other's letters and things. And I got dropped soon afterwards, so I don't know whether it was, uh, you know, I link it to that public humiliation. That's just what I was thinking. It's public humiliation, and yep. if it's any comfort. In my school, we had the same process, and if you couldn't sing, you were called a growler, and you were sent to the back and told to shut up. It's brutal, right. isn't it? And yep. and to this day, you obviously can remember that story, and I'm, I'm guessing it, it never happened, and you never got together with that girl again. Um, so they're significant. These, these smallish comments from teachers can have a brutally crushing effect on the people that receive them so what does that tell us about creativity why why is that important for creativity that's only the start of the story (laughs) Ah. (laughs) tell us more i think we've only had the start of the story (laughs) so yes so basically you know i i had uh after that incident i had the very very strong belief that i could not sing and so about 20 years later i had a mate who was a studying law and he was a musician he used to play around in pubs and and i thought he was absolutely brilliant anyway he he's actually uh he turned out to be uh a judge so so anyway i used to do a lot of screen printing and so i had this deal with him that i would screen print some posters for him if he would teach me how to sing one song and the song that i wanted to learn was daydream believer and so we did this deal and i ran off these posters for him one night I was at a party and I turned up late and I'd been to another party before and my friend was playing the guitar and singing at this party and it was about 11 o'clock and 
I was pretty tanked. And he was there and he was going, oh, you know, come up and sing with me. You know, we'll start the first lesson now. And so... <laughs> in like, public, your first lesson in public. Yeah, oh my yeah, so, but at least it was 11 o'clock and, you know, most people were pretty pissed. So I very reluctantly got up and I, and I, and I sang the song with him. Anyway. Sleepy Yeah. At the end of the song, he looked at me and said, I'm sorry, I have to renege. I cannot teach you to sing. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the reincarnation of your music teacher. He gave yeah, you the same. He, he, he was. He was uh, yeah. So story's not over yet, Chris. I so, think we're going to hear you sing Daydream Believer at the end fast, of this podcast. Fast forward, fast forward 20, 20 years or so, and I was waiting for my um, girlfriend to join me in a coffee shop, and there was a brochure there for group singing lessons. And it had an email address. Now, I'm sure that if it had a phone number, I would have never, ever called that number. I sent this woman an email and said, look, I see that you do group lessons. I couldn't possibly come into a group. Do you do private lessons? Could I join? Anyway, she wrote back and said, oh, no, look, you know, group is perfect for you and it's only 90 bucks and it goes for six weeks, you know, come along. So I agreed and I sent her money um, and it was to start in three weeks hence. Anyway, I one week out from starting this course, I got the worst case of tonsillitis that I ever had in my life. You know, I could not swallow. I could hardly breathe. And with a, a sense of relief, I me- emailed her and said, look, I'm so sorry, I, but I cannot possibly join your course because I have this terrible case of tonsillitis. And she said, oh, not a problem. We'll just put it back two weeks. I was like, oh. oh. All right. Oh, so put back two weeks and I turn up and I turn up and I'm just about five minutes late. And there was a set of glass doors on a veranda looking into the room in the Theosophical Society where she had these lessons. And she had a group of people around the piano and she's playing and they're singing. And to my horror, they can all sing. And (laughs) what I didn't know at the time was all these people were just her students and she used to offer them to join these groups to backfill. In fact, I was the only new student, and these are all singers that could sing. And I'm standing there going, oh, my God, you know, and I'm like a deer in the headlights, you know, just at the edge of the light of this, you know, through these glass doors. And I'm thinking, you know, my head is saying, step back, step run into the away. darkness, you know. Run like, away. yes. Run away. Anyway, so Louise looks up and sees me goes, oh, you must be poor, come on in. So, so my fate was sealed. <clears throat> so I... I joined the people on the piano and she handed out some music and she goes, sing. So we're singing and I don't know what we're singing, but we're singing and I'm mumbling and she's going, Paul, I can't hear you, you know, sing louder, you know, sing louder. And so I was singing louder uh, and we first finished the first song and then we sing another one and the second song we sing is How Many Roads by Bob Dylan. And so she goes, we start singing and she goes, right, who wants to sing this one as their solo at the concert? How do I know what the answer to this question is going to be, Paul? <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going, what the f***? Solo and concert? Like, there is nothing about concert in that, you know, in that leaflet. And there's nothing about solos. This is a group singing lesson. So anyway, one thing led to another. And so I'm signed up for this thing. The last one is a, was a um, solo and as a concert, and we're to invite family and friends. So I invited my girlfriend, and she brought along a, a friend for support. So I, I'm uh, waiting at the front for Cara to arrive, and I, I actually see her in a car with her friend Erica, 
And they look up and see me and they get out of the car and they come and join me. I found out later that her girlfriend was saying, just drive away. <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you doing with this bloke? Uh, just drive away. So anyway, so I go through the concert. I'm in the chorus and it's my turn to sing this solo. And I get up and I sing this solo, How Many Roads? And I'm, and I'm thinking that I'm making Dylan, whoever it says, is a crap singer, sound like Pavarotti. And I'm, and I'm singing. And I, and I look like down. sand and glue. That's what David Bowie said about Dylan, yeah. Anyway, so I, I look down and I see Cara, and Cara is beaming. You know, Cara has a beautiful smile and, you know, she's beaming. And I, I'm feeling good, you know. And I look across at her friend Erica, who is looking at me like I have just strangled her cat. Um, <laughs> She has the look of absolute horror on her face. Anyway, so I, I persevere. I found out later uh, a couple of things. One is that Erica cannot hide her emotions. <laughs> she cannot hide <laughs> what she thinks. You know, What you see is what you get. And what I also found out is my wife, Cara, who has, who my future wife, Cara, has perfect pitch. And she's also a fantastic salesperson. And so she can give the smile that launched a thousand ships, no matter, whatever condition or whatever circumstances there. So Erica was being truthful. And I often say that, you know, when I took up stand up, that I got more laughs when I was singing than I do when I'm doing stand up. Um, <laughs> so, Paul, I think the question all of this begs I mean, twice you were publicly humiliated and told, you can't sing, mate. Why didn't you take the hint? Why didn't you go, that's true, I can't sing, I'm not going to have any lessons, I'm not going to sing in the Mikado, it's just not my thing. Why did you... A very good question, Chris, and it's <laughs> one that I've asked myself. It's certainly one that my wife has asked me many times. I come down to, you know, this, that it was very much, and we've spoken before about what happens at puberty when often we, people, humans, lose a connection with our inner creativity. I was very lucky that I had supportive parents and my artistic side and my visual arts side was encouraged, as was my acting and stuff. But this this was something that was basically you know, cut me off from a form of expression that was very important to me. And so I really felt that I wasn't being seen and heard. And one of the things that it's taught me is is the power of that fear. Now, I... That, that's a vital point, the power of fear, because for most people, the fear would put them off. They'd go, right, I'm not doing this. I've learned my lesson. I've got to do other things. But you're saying there's power in fear. Well, there, there's, well there, there's two things, and I want to talk about friction in the moment. But first of all, I'm just saying in terms of the, the power of the fear. I honestly believe, uh, because of something happened a little bit later, that my tonsillitis was psychosomatic uh, to get me out of the singing lessons because after I had a hundred lessons with Louise I got my own performance where I could do 10 solos and a week out from that you know what happened I got tonsillitis Tonsillitis. Uh but as soon as I went ah this is psychosomatic it went away the next day I had no sore throat and I went ahead with my concert. So when I say the power of fear, I mean, I mean, it's the force that can actually, you know, physically, you know, change our body and our responses to our body. And the act of recognising the fear made it go away in a way. This is just my body trying to be fearful. I can see what you're doing, mate. I'm not letting you get away with it. I'm back in charge. Exactly. Which, which brings me to this point that I've been thinking about and writing about lately 
called frisham. And I've so this is your... frisham, not friction. This is a new word. Well, it's not a new word. It's in the dictionary. Uh, oh, is it? I, okay. It's a new word to me. It's F R I S O N. It basically means thrill. But some definitions, when people talk about their word, they say it's sort of it lives between the middle between fear and excitement. And I'm, I know that fear and excitement are effectively the same emotion or the, the double side of a coin of the same emotion. It, it's definitely a thrill, but as I said, when people expand the word or dissect it, they say it's really somewhere between this excitement and, well, and fear. I put it out there to anyone listening in, if you can suggest a word better than friction that captures that feeling that's between fear and excitement, we want to hear from you. What is the word to describe that feeling? What I understand in the creative process frisson to be is that moment when you hit the button, you know, when the moment when you post a photo or a drawing or you step up to the microphone or you you send an email to say, can I have singing lessons? Because what it is is it's a point where you're putting private thoughts and ideas out into the public, and even that, even that's one other person, showing them a drawing, you know, reading them a poem. The moment you start, it's gone from outside you and it's gone into the world, and that brings with it this moment of absolute terror but incredible excitement as well, and it's those joining of those things. What happens then is that that moment is about how you respond to the feedback that you get from the world, the world. and this is the pivotal moment because the reality is that it shouldn't matter, but of course it does. And if your idea, your picture, your poem, your song, your piece of stand-up, if it gets good feedback, well, then it's like, wow, you know, th- this makes you feel good. If you get silence, you immediately get self-doubt. And so what's really important is that this moment of frisson not, must be in the creative process followed by a very strong mindset of self-belief. This can be dangerous if you're a person like me that can't sing to save themselves and you have such strong belief that you don't care, well, then it, it can lead to great embarrassment. But it also can lead to great material for future stand-up. <laughs> See, I was going to say, where, where can that self-belief come from? I mean, do you still believe you can't sing? Having Are you still a non-singer? I am. I'm trying to think of an analogy there with, you know, like an alcoholic is, you know, always an alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the reason that I know now that I, you know, pursued this singing was ultimately to sing to my kids when they were babies. And so I, I used to have a repertoire of about 40 songs that I knew off by heart. And over the years, that's dwindled down uh, to one song. And it's the only song that I remember Hallelujah. <laughs> easy, easy words to remember. <laughs> and I must have sung that song, I reckon, probably two and a half thousand times to my kids over over many years. Probably this one of the saddest parts of my life is that, you know, when the kids started to listen to to uh you know, to music online and Camille's probably at five, she she started to prefer the Jeff Buckley version <laughs> than my own. I can't believe it. It can't be true. <laughs> But I think that probably over the time, and to answer your question, what I learned from my singer, singing teacher was that I think I learned a couple of things. You know, it's a little bit of, of your make it till you make it or fake it till you make it. She showed me techniques of how to push my voice to get the vocal cords too close to a note. But as soon as I could get the note and I could hear the note, she then got me to stop pushing my voice, you know. So it was a, a prop that she used to get me to do that. But what I realised is it's like the same thing with drawing. People say, I can't draw, I can't paint. What they're really saying is, I can't 
reproduce something accurately so people might recognize it. But of course, everyone can draw. If you pick up a piece of paper and a pencil and make a line on that paper, you are drawing. And the same with thing as singing. You know, it's really about subjective. Yes, I can sing, but in terms of my ear, I am not clinically deaf, so therefore I can sing. It's just that my ear is not particularly good. I'm drawing out some really interesting conclusions from this because throughout this story, you've got every reason to go, I ain't a singer. I'm not going to sing. And you said it's a side of your creative side that you had to come out. You had to express that something you weren't being heard. And, and you kept beating against this door to see if there's a way you could sing. Uh, I, I'll tell you what I've, I've written down. It helps to be a bit delusional, um, at least in the early days. You know, I, I can do this, this sort of sense of belief. You Perhaps when you start out a creative journey, you need someone that's going to I was going to say to lie to you, like that teacher who said, yeah, that's great. But you need someone who's very forgiving, very understanding this is the beginning of a journey and to give you lots of support. Um, I think you need extraordinary perseverance. You've demonstrated a, a story over tens of years where you've kept going at this. And inside you, you've kept going. I'm going to try this. I'm going to send that email, take the lessons. I'm going to join that public class, even though I'd rather have private. And I think the lessons that you glean from it in your observations are very good. For me, I think it, it's, it's a very visceral thing, getting up and singing in front of people. But it, it's, it's a, I suppose, a, via small steps, a big example of the need for us all to somehow find our uh, creative voice in whatever manner that might be. And I think I, I know that for me, you know, this experience or episode has really helped in other aspects of my life. But for me, it was more about, you know, confidence and getting in front of people. Certainly, you know, it underpinned and it was a, a road back to the public speaking that I do now. And it certainly opened the door to me, you know, for the confidence for, for, for stand-up. But I think it is, it's not really about the singing. It is really, it's about two things. It's that creative expression, but it's also about getting through that moment of friction and then maintaining a mindset of healthy self-belief. And I add healthy because I suspect at times you know, my self-belief was not totally healthy. <laughs> Well, everybody's self-belief ebbs and flows, but I, I think what I'm hearing is you've got to have this sense of self-belief that I can conquer this, I can enjoy this friction, uh, not just as an end in itself, but because those byproducts, like you, it helps you with your business career, helps you with stand-up and so on. And I remember Lexi, Lexi Airy, the chief executive of Gateway Bank, talking about stand-up as something that's really helped her in her business career. So it's interesting. The story's been about singing. We've learned a lot about creativity, but now we're learning about the spin-offs in other parts of your life. So I think it's a very rich story. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank um, you, Paul, for sharing it with us. Um, I hope everyone's enjoyed tuning into that, our story about singing and what it means for creativity. If you've liked this episode, please give us some feedback, jot a note in, in the notes, recommend us to your friends. Um, and we look forward to hearing from you next week. Thanks for listening in. Okay, thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, if I ever release a CD, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cheers for now. Bye for now. <laughs>